Praise the Lord. So awesome to be here with all of you this evening. In the presence of God, amen. Gathered together in His name. Praise God. Let's all stand this evening. I want us to pray for our service this evening. I also want us to pray for Sister McGinnis. Uh, She had a bit of a fall earlier today uh, at Coles, and uh, she got a little banged up. I'm told she's going to live, she's going to be okay, but uh, she's probably very uncomfortable right now. And uh, so we want to pray for her this evening. Amen. That God would touch her, God would heal that. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so thankful for You. I am so thankful for Your so great salvation that You have extended unto all people everywhere. Thank You, Jesus, that You have given us uh, both to will and to do of Your good pleasure. Thank You, Jesus, that You have afforded us this opportunity this evening to enter into Your presence. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray right now for Sister McGinnis, Lord Jesus, that You would heal her completely, that You would make her comfortable, that You would use this situation in her life to lead her closer to You, to cause her to become more like You. Hallelujah, Jesus, that You would show her Your glory, Your miraculous power. Hallelujah, Jesus. And I pray for our service this evening, Lord, that Your name would be glorified in our midst, that You would have perfect uh, and complete freedom in this place tonight to do all Your heart's desire, to accomplish all of Your will. I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would make us receptive to the Word of the Lord that we would be doers and not hearers only, that we would submit ourselves entirely, wholly and completely unto the Lord our God tonight. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the highest. You are the greatest. There is none else. Hallelujah, Jesus. I worship and I praise You tonight for all that You're going to do. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing tonight. You can be seated. We'll be reading from two places tonight to to start our message off. Isaiah chapter 56 and 7. Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7. And we're also going to read where Jesus quotes that. Uh, He quotes it in a few places in the Gospels, but Matthew 21 and 13. Amen. Isaiah 56 and 7 says, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. And in Matthew 21:13, we record the words of Jesus as he says, And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Amen. So we're going to be talking tonight about prayer. Interestingly enough, I want to try to answer this question. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? We know that prayer is important. Maybe we even think it's necessary. But why? We've all heard stories of the miraculous. We've all heard awesome, wonderful, powerful testimonies about how God answers prayer in someone's life. Uh, We we hear about all kinds of miraculous healings. God just comes into a situation and, and heals. And it's gone. Cancer is gone. Back is made straight, made whole. God does that. He does that a lot. We hear about people being raised from the dead. Most of us here have heard of the testimony of Brother Lee Stone King. He was dead for, I think, somewhere around 45 minutes. Something like that. Well past the time of resuscitation. Until he wasn't. God just reversed everything that was going on. The physiological process of death was settling into that body of his. And then it just reversed. And he got up. God does things like that. And we know it's a miracle because that's impossible for mankind to do. 
I've heard testimonies about uh, eyewitness testimonies. People praying for someone, and, and they literally watch a limb, a severed limb, grow back on their body. Their arm was missing, and it just starts growing back, and it's a whole arm attached now. God does stuff like that. We hear about miraculous protection from harm. Uh, the bullet holes in the clothes, but the, the body itself remains unscathed. We've all heard stories like that. Miraculous deliverance from impossible situations. We've all heard these stories. But we've also heard, and perhaps we've even experienced, situations when the only answer one received from God was silence. Not a word. People have prayed and they've went on suffering or even died. We pray for people to be raised from the dead, and they're still dead today. Limbs stay missing. In situations, people were hurt, imprisoned, tortured, even killed. All the while, people are praying. Why, why, the, why the dichotomy? Why the, why the discrepancy? Why does it happen sometimes and not other times? Why does it happen for some people and not other people? I've asked that question, and so have some of you. There are a lot of people out there that have that question. I always try to have at least one or two questions for God at any given time. Uh, I like asking questions. I like discovering answers. But, I want to stipulate something. In my search for answers to these types of questions, I always keep some unbreakable rules in front of me, and I encourage all of you to do the same. First rule is this. There is an answer to my question. God has it, and I don't. That's the first thing I try to keep in mind. God always has an answer. He has the answer. Right now, I don't. So that's why I'm going to Him. That's why I'm going to the book. Amen. Second rule is Scripture is inerrant, but I am not. The Bible is infallible, folks. It is always right every time. And it doesn't matter if I want it to be right or not. It doesn't matter if I think it's right or not. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. It's right. And as long as I'm in agreement with it, I can be right. But as soon as I separate myself from Scripture, now I am wrong. Period. There's no exceptions to that rule. The third thing is God knows my heart, and I don't. I have to consider sometimes, why am I asking these questions in the first place? What's prompting these questions in my, my spirit, my mind? Do I have a good reason for it? Or am I just being argumentative? Or am I trying to play devil's advocate with God? Because sometimes I do enjoy doing that with people. So I, I don't know all the time what my real motivations are for asking these questions. And God does. Okay? Fourth principle is God loves me. He wants the very best for me and knows what that is at any given time. And I do not. I think I do, and maybe I get it right every once in a while, but I'm proceeding under the assumption that I don't know what's best for me here. But God does. I'm always going to trust in His character. I'm always going to trust in the fact that He loves me, and He wants the best for me. As a quick example, if I'm not seeming to get a, an answer from God, well, there's a reason for that. And I'm going to proceed under the assumption that God loves me, He wants the best for me, and that's how my answer is going to proceed. That's how my questioning is going to proceed. Fifth and final principle, I may never know the answer to this question, but I can trust God anyways. 
if I never discover what the answer is, I'm still going to trust God. I can still trust God. If I never get an answer to prayer over something, I'm going to continue to trust Him. Why? Because God knows me, and God loves me, and He wants the very best for me. So this must be the very best for me. I don't know what's best for me. I would certainly not pick a trial or a test. Nope. So I may never know, but I will always trust. So why do we pray with those things in mind? I'm asking the question tonight. Why do we pray? What is prayer at its essence? Now when I phrase the question like, is prayer just a a list of desires that we bring to the Lord so He can answer them? We all know what the obvious answer is. No, prayer is more than that. But a lot of times, that's pretty much what we end up doing. In any case, we're going to explore that. The history of prayer, or the history of man's fellowship with God. Prayer takes different forms as we read through the Bible. At the beginning, before the fall, there was no mention of prayer. What there was mention of is that Adam walked with God. They had fellowship in the garden. They were walking side by side. They spoke to one another. They had a relationship with each other. That's the only thing we ever read about before the fall. Is Adam and God walking side by side, building a relationship, communing, having fellowship. After the fall, fellowship with God was severed. It was broken. And it was in the mind of God to restore that broken relationship. Because sin broke fellowship with God, that's what needed to be accounted for. God instituted the sacrificial system in order to atone for sin, thus making fellowship possible. It certainly wasn't restored to the way it was before. It was a stopgap measure, if I can say it so crudely. It was something to remove the barrier of sin for a time. Fellowship would not be what it was before the fall. But it was a way whereby man could commune with God through the spilling of blood, the sacrificial system that would atone for sin. We read about Enoch. And during his lifetime, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And that phrase means a little bit more than just speaking his name in prayer. It's referring to a a covenantal relationship. You're calling on the name of the Lord in covenant relationship with Him. You're bringing down the very presence of God into your situation. That's what that means to call on the name of the Lord. And only people who have a covenant relationship with God are able to do that. Then the Mosaic Law. We read about the a much more elaborate sacrificial system, the tabernacle plan, the priesthood, all of the ceremonies and the feasts. We read about the type and the shadow of prayer, the altar of incense, which was lit from off the fire that came from the altar of sacrifice. So we discover something about prayer there. Moving forward in time to Solomon's temple. God's promise to answer prayers made in or toward this temple. In the New Testament, there are all kinds of scriptures referring to prayer. I chose just a few. Matthew 21 and 22 says, In all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Now that's a pretty open-ended promise, isn't it? Okay, let's take this out for a test. 
Let's kick the wheels on this thing. Let's, 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 let's look at this a little closer. What if I want a brand new Ferrari? Can I ask in, in His name, believing, and I shall receive? Will I receive? I can. I can ask for whatever I want. Yeah, definitely. Kids ask for all kinds of things, their parents. But we all know that's probably not going to happen, right? What if I ask to be rich? Well, because I want to support some missionaries and I want to give to the church and, you know, those kinds of things. That's why I want to be a billionaire. How about that prayer? It may be. If I, if I found myself in a place where I were actually praying that seriously, I don't know how much faith I would have for an answer there. Okay, let's go a little bit farther. What if I want deliverance from a trial? I really, I really want to be delivered from this trial. And I believe in God. How about if I'm unlawfully imprisoned? Or I'm imprisoned for my faith and I want to be freed from prison? How about then? There are people in prison right now, folks. Unlawfully. Or even lawfully because of their faith. Lawfully according to the government. And they're still there. So I'm starting to see something about prayer here. James 5 speaks about the prayer of faith saving the sick, right? But in James chapter 1... We read about how we need to count it all joy when we fall into temptations, tests, trials. Also, according to, to most historians, James was stoned to death. Where was his, where was his prayers? Did God answer the prayers of James? I think of the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, as far as I can tell and, and remember in Scripture, he received one healing. Correct me if I'm wrong. And that's after he, he was struck blind on the road to Damascus. He was told to go to Ananias. He'll pray for you and you'll get your sight back. And God hit, did. He miraculously blinded him, and then he miraculously gave it back to him. But I don't, I don't remember, and I'm not being facetious here, I, I don't remember him ever receiving another healing after that. Was he in a position to receive a healing after that? Yeah, once or twice, right? He got some owies and some boo-boos every once in a while. Right? But I don't read him ever receiving another healing. In fact, he does talk about a thorn in the flesh. That he prayed three times, God, take this away from me. And what did God tell him? No! No, I'm not going to. God had something bigger in store. So, okay, okay, now I'm getting a little bit more of the picture here. Acts 1 and 14 says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. Okay, so here, um, these are just other scriptures that I wanted to comment on very quickly. Um, unity in prayer is important. 
corporate prayer is important. It's not the only thing we do, uh, but they are important. Acts 2 and 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Folks, prayer is very apostolic. If we want to be apostolic, we have got to pray. All right, moving on. Acts 10 and 4. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. This is where we get the idea of a memorial prayer. And that's where we pray and we pray and we pray and 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 pray for a long period of time until it comes up before God as a memorial. And God hears and He answers. The memorial prayer. Romans 12 and 12 says, Rejoicing in hope. Patience in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Okay, we need to continue in prayer. We don't pray one time and, oh, that didn't work. I'll figure it out myself. And we also need to be instant in prayer. As soon as the situation arises, we ought to know what the first thing is that we do. We bring it to God in prayer. Patience in tribulation? Well, won't my continuing instant prayer secure my deliverance from that? If I continue instant in prayer, I don't have to worry about that. Well, yeah, we do, it, it seems. We'll talk more about that. Ephesians 6 and 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So again, prayer. Staying vigilant in prayer. Watching in prayer. Endurance in prayer. Sounds an awful lot like work. Real praying is hard work. Intercessory prayer especially is very hard work. Philippians 4.6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. So we pray fast, we pray first, we pray always. Amen. Now, moving on with our uh, exploration here. Everything starts with God. Everything. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It doesn't seek to explain where God came from. It doesn't seek to uh, form some kind of an apologetic to describe why God is here. It just assumes it. It makes the statement, God's here and He's starting to work. And then it moves on with the creation week. Everything starts with God. John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, my point in bringing that in is that the Word of God and God are, in effect, synonymous, interchangeable. Your Bible is the written form of God. Think about that for a moment. That's why I've, I've taught my kids. You respect the Bible. You don't put anything on top of it. You don't use it to brace the table up. You don't throw it on the bed when you're done with it. God is our starting point for everything, including, admittedly, very specifically in this case, the office of prayer. He's our starting point for everything. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Okay, so we have two premises here. Premises? Premises. Sounds cooler. Prayer works or fails based on these two premises. One, God exists. If God doesn't exist, folks, your prayers will not be answered. Does that make sense? So God has to exist first. Alright. Second premise is that God is, has the ability and the willingness to answer. 
All right. That he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If either one of these are absent, the office of prayer becomes, for our purposes, irrelevant. Because it will be utterly ineffective. Conversely, why is it, why is it effective? It's because of who we're praying to. If I pray to my wife, in my time of, of being cancer-ridden, for example, and I'm really believing that she's going to cure my cancer, what are my chances? Well, they're the same as they would have been if I didn't pray. Because she has no power over that. So it matters who I'm praying to. Because I'm praying to God, who is all-powerful, who has all authority, who has all knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, He certainly has the ability to cure my cancer. But if that's all He has, I'm still doomed. If He is unwilling to answer. I need both to secure an answer. At least the answer I'm looking for. If I want a healing, He's got to be both able and willing. The one that God exists, that's presupposed. That is our presupposition as biblical Christians. Or, to say it another way, it requires faith based in our understanding of Scripture to acknowledge. Here's what I mean by that. Without the knowledge of Scripture, without the revelation of God in creation, I have no understanding of God. Okay? That knowledge comes through revelation. It comes through revelation. I can't, through scientific exploration or philosophical undertakings, come to a realization of God. I can come to a realization of a God. I can get pretty close in general terms. But specifics are always going to elude me. I have got to have an understanding based on the revelation of God in Scripture. I've got to understand some things about this God. That He loves me. That He wants the very best for me. He wants a relationship with me. He suffered on a cross and died for me. That I can come to Him in prayer and bring these things to Him. That He wants me to worship Him. These things I don't know unless they're revealed to me in Scripture. I'm not going to come to that knowledge all on my lonesome. That God is able and willing requires a relationship with Him to the point that we can trust Him. And we've spoken about this at length in other messages. To be able to trust in God, I've got to know God. I've got to have some experiences with God. I've got to have walked with Him for a while. Thankfully, both are always present. Okay, now, I said earlier that if I want my healing, God's got to be able and willing to give me my answer. God always answers. Always. Let me say that again. God always answers our prayers. The thing is, sometimes the answer is wait. And sometimes the answer is no. Now, at this point of my uh, research or exploration into this or whatever, here's my problem. Got all these promises. God answers prayer. God went through. He healed everybody every time. He commanded the disciples, go, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Uh, freely you have received, freely give. That's the commission. On the other hand, 
Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says something else. You're praying for this. I'm going to give you that instead. So how do we bring this together? That's where I've been stuck for a very long time. And I believe, I believe that God has finally given me an answer on this. I've waited for a long time. But I believe I have an answer that is cogent and that makes sense biblically, scripturally, character of God. Trying to reconcile these answers are where we can't get ourselves into trouble. We can start we can start to doubt our presuppositions based on our experiences. In other words, we start walking by sight and not by faith. I start letting what I'm seeing around me, what I'm experiencing right now, dictate doctrine to me. And we all know sitting here in, in nice cool church in the presence of Jesus and in the presence of all of our friends and family, we know that's the wrong answer. But at two in the morning when everyone's gone and I'm all alone and Jesus isn't answering right now, it's pretty easy to slip into that mindset. We start walking by sight or experience or feeling instead of by faith. And at that point, folks, we open ourselves up to doubt. That's when we begin to doubt. We doubt the promises of God. We doubt the character of God. At that point there. So, faith versus doubt. We have all probably heard uh, different descriptions. Doubt is faith in reverse. Um, Both are faith, I think. The difference is the expected result and your perception of God. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith, for example, believes in God's ability and willingness to heal. And for a long time, that's where I stopped. And at the end of this, I'm going to wrap everything up and tell you what I believe God told me. But I've got to build this thing first. I waited for 10 years. You can wait another half hour. Amen. <laughs> Faith believes in God's ability and willingness to heal, but at the same time, allows for God to work within a much larger picture. Okay. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. Here's the thing. Miracle signs and wonders. They are for who? Some of them, they're for the edification of the church body. But a lot of them are for the unbelieving. They're for the unbelieving. Let me say it another way. If I get sick, if I get sick unto death, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to heal me. But if He doesn't heal me, I'm still going to trust in Him. I'm still going to love Him. I'm not going to think any less of God. I don't need that healing to build my faith or confidence in God. I already have faith and confidence in God. If He heals me, fantastic. I'm going to give Him glory for that. I'm going to testify about that. If He doesn't heal me, I'm still going to give Him glory. I'm still going to worship Him anyway. I don't need the healing. I don't need God to prove Himself, to demonstrate Himself any more than He already has. And He has so wondrously in my life. The unbelieving have never experienced God. The unbelieving have all of these weird doctrines in their head and all of these convoluted, contradictory philosophies that that they subscribe to. The dissonance they don't even recognize. They've learned to live with it, I guess. They're one walking contradiction. 
They need something to snap them out of it. And that's where the power of God comes in. God demonstrates His authority over the philosophies of this world. He demonstrates His power over the demons and the devils that inhabit this world. He demonstrates power over their addiction, over their sickness. The unbelieving, that helps them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's where we want to seek that. That's where we really want to have faith to to see them healed, to see them delivered, to see their arms growing back, their loved ones' uh, bodies raising from the dead. They need to see that, to, to, to see that God is real. Everything you said is true. Everything in this book, it's true. I've seen it with my own eyes. You and I, we don't need that. We already know that. And so there's the, there's the reconciliation, at least in my mind. God doesn't need to heal me. I, I don't need to receive the healing from God. I don't need that to believe in God. I don't need that to have trust and confidence in God. I already have that. If He wants to heal me, that's just icing on the cake. Praise God for that now, along with everything else. But if He doesn't, praise God for everything else. If I have doubt, it's not that I want to stay sick. If I... If someone's praying for me and I'm like, yeah, you can pray for me, but I doubt anything's going to happen. It's it's typically not that I want to stay sick. I want to be healed. I'm speaking as an unbeliever out in the world where I used to be. I want the healing, but... I believe I'm going to stay sick, whether you pray or not. Now, why is that? Well, it's either that I don't believe God will, or I don't believe God can, or I don't believe that God is. And typically in that order. If we allow ourselves to get into a place of doubt, we are going to start questioning. We're going to talk about doubt for a little bit. I'm going to start questioning whether or not God will answer my prayer in my time of need. Now, I've said already, He always answers the prayer. Sometimes yes, sometimes wait, sometimes no. But He always answers. Eventually, if I allow my presupposition to be dictated to by my experience, if I start walking by sight and leave faith off, I'm going to get to the place where I start doubting that God can. This is a natural progression. And if I allow that to continue, I'm going to start doubting that God even exists. That's the progression of doubt. So how do we get there in the first place? We leave off walking by faith. We stop believing in the character of God. We stop trusting in God's character. We stop trusting in the fact that God loves me and that He wants the very best for me. And we start believing something else. And we set that belief system up higher than Scripture. That's what happens, folks. That's the sad truth of it. Knowledge versus relationship. For a long time, I believed all that people needed was just more information, more knowledge about Jesus, and that would suffice. That's why I started getting into creation and evolution. I got into apologetics. I got... I'm still into it, and I think, it's, I think it's very valuable to know those things. However, that's not the only thing we need. 
I failed to realize the equal importance of having a close personal relationship with God. That was partly probably personality, other things, but in any case, we need a relationship as well. We, we've got to know what Scripture says about God. We've got to know those things. That is, that is uh, it's essential. You can't leave that off. But equally important is having an experience with God and an ongoing relationship with Him. That is equally important. We need both. If we are ever going to uh, knock off being able to succumb to doubt in these situations. If I have the knowledge of God, but no relationship, well, I may always believe that He exists, but I'm not going to believe he'll, He'll answer my prayers. If all I have is a relationship with God, and I don't know anything about what the Bible says about Him, well then, sky's the limit. I'll choose the Jesus loves everybody no matter what God. I'll just worship Him when I feel like it. Because He doesn't care. He just loves me anyway. No, we need a little bit better understanding of who God is. We need both. We need both. I can know every intimate detail about someone, but that doesn't mean I know that person. I think about marriage. When my wife and I were dating, we talked about all kinds of things. Talked about our backgrounds. Talked about experiences we had growing up and about our parents and all all kinds of stuff. But did I know her? I thought I did. She thought she knew me. No and no. Once you start getting to know someone, you may walk away from, you know, especially as you get closer, friends or, 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 or a loved one, they start confiding stuff in you and, and, and trying to uh, explain, you know, how I'm feeling about something or, you know, honestly. And you may walk away feeling, I'd have never guessed that about that person. I thought I knew him, but Wow. They're thinking about stuff like that. And that could be good or bad. But, okay. So, doubt versus faith. There's a book that I'm reading right now. Uh, The author's name is Gary Habermas. I think that's pronounced right. It's called, Why is God Ignoring Me? And uh, he talks a lot about doubt. He doesn't really get into the answering that question, which is a little bit disappointing. However... Uh, he, he does have some awesome things to say about doubt. And he goes very in-depth in it. I won't do that tonight. But uh, he talks about uh, the fact that there's a misconception that doubts are largely factual in nature and a good dose of data will snap you to your senses and you'll never have a doubt again. If you just had enough information, you'd never doubt God. And in his experience, he's, he, he counsels a lot of these types of scenarios. And in his experience, he says that's simply not true. Not true at all. Much to my dismay. He says there are three primary categories of doubt. Factual, emotional, and volitional. The factual is where most people think that they're at. But almost no one is there. Everyone thinks their doubts are factual in nature. But they're not. Very little of our doubts have any basis in fact. Emotional. The overwhelming majority of doubts end up being emotional in nature. We were hurt. We were wounded. We were let down. Disappointed. That's where it starts. And volitional. Again, very little of people's doubts ever occur as volitional. But by the time it gets to that, it becomes the most serious type of doubt there is. He explains it, and I thought this was a good analogy. Um, Doubt often starts as a question that remains unanswered. Factual. Uh, He uses the example, you question whether your spouse loves you or not. That's factual in nature. Yes or no. 
Um, do you love me or don't? But it remains unanswered. So it festers until it moves to the emotional level. You confront her. You start arguing for him. <laughs> well, do you love me or don't? What is it? Tell me. And eventually it will move to the volitional level or where you take action on it. You'll separate. You'll move to the opposite ends of the house. Stop talking. It's not that you're not married. It's just that that fact isn't helping you right now. It doesn't really matter right now that you're married. Your problem is you don't know that he or she loves you. And those are kind of, in a nutshell, the stages of doubt. Okay, so why don't people pray? Well, a lot of people don't pray because they don't believe God exists. Or at least they work really hard to, to get themselves into that mindset. Typically until they come to some kind of a foxhole experience. The old analogy, the old saying, there are no atheists in a foxhole. It is very true. When you get down far enough in life, typically people are going to try God. Some people don't believe that God is able to meet their need, especially when it comes to forgiveness. Statements like, I've done too much for God to forgive me. My sins are too great. He wouldn't possibly be able to forgive that. We've all heard people say stuff like that. And it's because people, they, they have no real understanding of the God that we serve. The power of His blood is so much greater than anything that we could do. So why don't Christians pray? We believe that God exists. Otherwise, we wouldn't be a Christian, right? Most people don't believe God is willing to meet their need. So they just don't try. Or they've tried it before and it didn't work out the way they, they wanted it to. So they'll just take care of it themselves. Impatience. They can't wait. So I just take care of it myself. I can't wait on an answer. I, I got to do something now. Do you really have to do something now, though? Is that really the truth? Laziness. Prayer is too much work. Takes too much time. It does take time, and it is a bit of work if you're doing it right. Relationships are work. Relationships take time. Another reason Christians won't pray is because they're uncertain of God's will. Or more generally, they're uncertain of God's character. They don't trust Him. Not wholly, not completely. God's let me down in the past. That's another message of itself. I promise you folks, God never let you down. Never. Not once. It may look like it from my warped vision, my warped perception. But it's not God. God hasn't let you down. God never has let you down. Another reason is unwilling, you're unwilling to invest the time and effort to build a relationship with God. In other words, we, we misunderstood what prayer really is. So what is prayer really? Prayer is not just 
a list of requests that we bring to God, although we do have requests and we are encouraged to bring them to God. God wants us to bring them to Him. He wants to provide our needs for us. He delights in doing that. Absolutely. I'm not telling you to don't come to Him with requests. But that's not the only reason we pray. If that is the only reason we, we pray, you are, you are selling this office far, far short of what it could be in your lives. Prayer, first and foremost, is a relationship with God. It's fellowship. It's communion with Him. That's what prayer is primarily. First and foremost, it's a relationship with God. It's walking with Him in the cool of the day. Speaking with Him. Allowing Him to speak with you. Loving Him. Letting Him love you. This is why God created us, is to have a relationship with Him. He didn't create us to teach us to depend on Him, although we need to do that. He didn't create us for the specific task of putting us in situations where we'd have to call out His name, although we're encouraged to do that. He wants us to do that. He created us to have a relationship with Him first and foremost. And how we do that primarily is through prayer, also through reading the Scriptures. God speaks to us there as well. Since we're talking about prayer tonight, let me focus on that. We've got to be people of prayer because we need a relationship with Him. This is why Jesus died on a cross to reestablish the broken relationship that He had with us. To make it possible once again whereby we could enter into His very presence. Into the very throne room of God and commune with Him. The more intimate our relationship with God, the more prayers we're going to see answered. Why is that? That's a little bit of a trick statement. We will see more prayers, more of our prayers answered the more intimate and close we get with God because less and less we're going to ask according to His will. Less of our prayers will be asking amiss. As we become closer to Him, we become more like Him. Our hearts become entwined. We start seeing things as He does. Feeling about things as He does. And because of that, our prayers are going to reflect that change. We're going to start praying like He would pray. We're going to be asking for things that matter to God. Not just to us. It's okay to pray about things that matter to us. But I think if we're going to use the office in its highest capacity, its greatest sense, we'll pray for the things that matter to Him. Amen. So is prayer important? Absolutely it's important. It's essential. You cannot live for God without prayer. You can't. You can keep the machinery running, like T.F. Tenney says, long after the oil is run dry. That's all it's going to be. You can't live for God without prayer. Your ministry will not prosper without prayer. You will have no relationship with God without prayer. You'll know about God, but you won't know Him. God's kingdom will not grow unless His people pray. So we've got to pray. We've got to see God's will done, not ours. Prayer works. It always works because God is. God is able and God is willing. He is. He is all three. We must believe that He is. And that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We've got to be a people of prayer. We've got to be a church of prayer. God's house has to be a house of prayer. 
This is an office that remains underutilized. And it's got to be one of our primary focuses. We've got to be a praying people. The office of prayer is without a doubt one of the most potent, one of the most powerful forces that we can get a hold of here on earth. It really is. When we gather together and we pray, all we see is this here. I get that. But if we could see into the Spirit, if we could see what's transpiring in the realm of the Spirit when we gather together and pray, it would blow your mind. You would stand there with your jaw wide open, and so would I, seeing what our prayers do, seeing the effectualness of our prayers. Just because we can't see anything with these, this, what happens here is an after effect of what happens in the Spirit. Okay? The Spirit is, that's reality. That's what's real. This, this is transient. This is here for a moment longer, and then it's all going to burn. This is where our focus is. Most of the time, we want a healing. We want uh, a, a different job. We want we want this. We want that. But when we're praying in the spirit, when we're praying about spiritual things, we're praying that things changes would transpire in the spirit world. And at some point, we're going to see those changes manifest themselves physically. Almost never immediately. But what we don't want is just change in the physical. We want the change to happen in the spiritual. It's kind of like holiness. The physical would be making sure I dress right and look right and got my hair right and, and all of that. But there's nothing in here. The spiritual, I pray for a spiritual change. God puts His holiness in me. God transforms me from the inside out. And because of that, I just start wanting to dress different. I start wanting to speak different. That's what I'm talking about. When we pray, we're praying for changes in the spiritual realm. We're praying for the spirit realm to be impacted. And those changes will manifest themselves physically. But the spirit is what we're looking for. Amen. The salvation of the lost, the perfection of the saints to see God's will done here in La Crosse County as it is in heaven. Amen. That's what we're looking for. And that's what we're going to see in Jesus' name. But we've got to pray. We've got to pray. Let's all stand. Jesus, You're an absolutely amazing God. I worship and I praise You. You're so beautiful and You're so wonderful. And I am so thankful for You, the relationship that You've established with me. I am so thankful for. I pray, Lord Jesus, that Your people, all of us, every one of us, would get a hold of this office called prayer. That we would begin to, to utilize it to maximum efficacy. That we would begin to understand the potency of prayer. Even our individual prayers, when prayed in faith-believing, result in wondrous things in the Spirit. Prayer is the force that moves the hand that moves everything else. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help us to understand the power and the efficacy of prayer. Help us to understand the, the absolute necessity of prayer in a Christian's walk in life. And help us to utilize that office to the glory of God. Bless your people, I pray. Bring us back at the day appointed. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.